Let's get right to it. Uh, since the last time we did a show talking about the mega deal that the Twins gave Carlos Correa, uh, the Twins have done something else very interesting. They have traded Luis Arai's batting champ for uh, for a good young pitcher in the Marlins organization and two very intriguing prospects. I'm sure that the fan base is not a fan of this. I think they got good value. Let's start with today, Roy. Roy, what do you think? Yeah, they got good value. I think it's a good trade. Uh, it, it's a good trade if it's just, for me, if it's just uh, Pablo Lopez and if either one of those players uh, – that uh, minor league players they got uh, be, or both become major league players, then it's an, a great trade. Um, I'm going to hate to see uh, Luis arise, or <laughs> I'm going to hate to not see him. <laughs> I, I really am. I'm going to hate to not uh, be able to watch him hit every day. Like uh, it has been such a pleasure uh, to do. But I, I think that we need to look at this trade uh, based on. Uh, how the twins have drastically changed uh, what their uh, personality uh, was then now is and and um, and how that's developing because if you think John Duran's the real deal and you think Jorge Lopez is the real deal, think that Jorge Alcala is going to sixth and seventh inning pitcher as as and a, a couple of the other guys that that um, have kind of emerged, then what you need is enough starting pitching to get you there, and you can score fewer runs. And And the Twins have gone in the last three, four years from a power-hitting uh, team to a not-so-much, and they can play defense uh, now, and they can pitch out of the bullpen so starting pitching became really important, and they had to. They, and you're going to have to give up something to get starting pitching to get you to, or hopefully a seventh inning in case of some of their top frontline guys. And so you had Luis Arise has enough. Um, I won't say liabilities, but enough things that I would say from a defensive standpoint and from a power and and slugging percentage standpoint, I think that you can get him up for the, for the right kind of deal. And I, I think this deal made sense. Lavelle. Um, uh, initially I was a little disappointed in the deal, but the more I think about it, the more I think the twins made a prudent move. First of all, it's always been their concern that arrives is going to have health issues down the road. He lost a year of development to ACL, a torn ACL in his minor league career. And he continues to have issues with that knee. Uh, also, they feel that he's the type of guy who, you know, is going to have to work out a little bit harder than everybody else just to be average, you know, have an average, you know, body. And I think they they're worried about that being problematic down the road. So um, they decide to sell high. So if you think about the history of the Twins of selling high, it hasn't happened very often. Um, I remember they sold low on Dumb and Young; they got crap in return. They so low on J.J. Hardy and got junk in return. Um, I'm sure I could think of a couple other deals where uh, they, they sold a guy didn't have a lot of value at the time and and uh, ended up getting something that couldn't help him. This was a situation where they traded someone who was coming off a batting title, and they got a guy to go right in the rotation and you know be a pretty good pitcher. Uh, everything I've read about Pablo Lopez suggests that uh, 
He's an intriguing guy. Apparently, he has the best changeup in baseball. He works hard. He's got a great makeup in terms of wanting to get every ounce out of his ability that he can. And he's going to have a great presence in that, in that rotation. So I think this works out. The Twins told me they were not going to make a one-for-one uh, arise for Lopez swap. That they wanted other pieces to add it. In fact, the Wednesday of last week, an uh, official told me, you know, we're not going to trade Pablo Lopez. We're going to trade for Pablo Lopez and, and just get him back in, in exchange for uh, Luis Arias. We want other pieces in return. So the trade goes down Friday afternoon. I text that same guy. I go, what the F happened? Because we just talked about this a couple of days ago. He says, the Marlins kicked in a couple of prospects. <laughs> so and that's how the, the deal came about. And it looks like one of them's got a lot of upside. And you don't know how 17-year-olds are going to fill out and mature. The other kid they got uh, could show Salas. some as well. So, yeah. yeah, Salas. So, you know, I want to see how this plays out. The Twins have a uh, – at, at the worst, the Twins have an above-average starting rotation right now uh, with, the, with the chance that someone has a big year because there are times where a number two pitcher pitches like an ace, like in Rick Porcello when they Cy Young. That could happen with someone off this team. I'm still high on Joe Ryan. He's 15-9 and nine through his first 32 starts. You put Lopez in the mix here, and I, I, I like what the rotation said. It doesn't have that ace guy, the front rotation, but they got enough guys to grind them through a season now. They almost have shifts of starting pitchers for the first time ever. They have five veterans who will start off the season if Maeda is ready to go, uh, and five quality veterans in the rotation, and they'll have like five guys you wouldn't mind seeing take the ball either as spot starters or replacements behind them. That For an organization that has always, always struggled to find and develop starting pitching, that is completely different. I, I already wrote about my thoughts about the trade. I'm, I'm grudgingly in favor of it, grudging because uh, I loved Arise as a guy and a competitor and a hitter, but they dealt one of their many corner hitters for a young starting pitcher who's under control for a while to give them more pitching than they need, which tends to be, Roy, as you know, about how much pitching you need. You need more than you need to have enough. Um, let's uh, get further into this. Remind this, remind you, this is the Chin Music Show. There's our baseball show at talknorth.com. Thanks for listening. We do appreciate it. The best way to listen is to subscribe to any show you like at the network on your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's the easiest way to listen. Uh, you can also go to talknorth.com, find archives, find all of our other shows. We have a massive number of shows. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. And uh, we are coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services Studio. Thanks to Minnesota Propane and TSR Injury Law. Uh, so I think the prospects are really interesting here. And, uh, you know, I asked Falvey about that on Friday, and he said, hey, you know, the one guy, Salas, he's a, one of the Marlins' top prospects. He's a middle infielder with upside, you know, an upside bat. Uh, those guys are hard to find. You can't have enough of those guys. And they get a 17-year-old who they think is a very advanced hitter. And I'll, here's what I'll remind people. If you're going to be good and you're not going to win every free agent uh, bout that you get into, uh, you're going to need to be able to – you're going to need trade fodder. So you're going to need depth. You're going to need injury replacements. You're also going to need people you can trade at trading deadlines and in off-seasons to get people you at, at positions of need. You get two really good prospects thrown in here, and all of a sudden you have, again, either depth or fodder. Let's start with Lavelle on this one. 
Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Um, all prospects are also assets, and the assets can end up being part of your team going forward. They also could be used in a deal. And that's why it's important, especially for a team like the Twins. If they're not going to sign the top free agents every year, although they just added one, um, they need to have a steady flow of talent in the farm system. And that could be acquired through drafting or, or signing or making a deal. And so the two kids that the, they got on the, on the back end of the Lopez trade definitely fall into that category. Um, you think about some of the other guys they have. Um, Austin Martin and Simeon with Richardson, Ed- Edward Julian, the second baseman, looks like a hitting pro. Matt Walner, Scott Batch, even Alex Kirilov and Trevor Larnick. You know, um, if they get to the trade deadline and need a piece to put them over the top, you know, they can craft a deal of prospects and, and be able to convert that into uh, an asset that can help them right away. So, um, you know, this is they, they need to always take swings like this. And that's the one thing Falvey and Levine have not been afraid during their 10 years to take a swing at things. If they're, if they're winning, they try to add on. If they're losing, they try to build for the future. They hate standing pat. They hate straddling. They're going one way or the other, and they will try to light up the transaction wire before the trade deadline. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about this on this show for uh, quite a while. Uh, and what I was most impressed with, Falvey and Levine, was when they took over, uh, the twins were in in terms of what Lavelle's talking about. Lavelle's absolutely right of everything he said about having depth throughout the organization. The twins did not have depth starting at the big league roster, 20 to 25 minutes, and working on down, they didn't have uh, nearly depth to be able to accomplish what, what they're now, what Lavelle's talking about to accomplish and I was impressed that after the first two years I thought man they've come a long way toward uh, stocking up on players that are going to be interesting either to themselves or to to other teams and they just keep doing it. and they're in a really great position now and and you know maybe there's there may or may not be a Hall of Fame player on the 25-man roster or down to the organization but there are big league players abounding now and that's a that's a big deal and they've done a really good job of that so what happens and we kind of knew that arise was a possibility to be traded we knew they were pursuing correa we i i I was surprised by the joey gallo acquisition i guess the next question is what happens to max kepler at this point let's start with roy now well that i mean we also talked about before joey gallo came on the scene we talked about We've been talking about what's going to happen with Max Kepler, and and you brought you alluded to it, uh, Jim, when you talk about a a corner uh, hitter that they had a corner player they had a lot of, and Luis arrives at first, and Kirilov at left field first base, and Larnick at left field or right field, and right field, and by the way, all of them left hand hitters. So now they've now they've added another left-handed hitter in Joey Gallo, and I I just think uh, something else has probably got to happen. Kirilov is probably going to go to first base, and it's uh, it's going to be now they still they still are heavily left-handed with uh, uh, Gallo and Kepler flanking as outfielders and DHs um, flanking, and so. I mean, they've got 
they've got a lot of things, a lot of pieces that uh, probably don't work ideally in in their uh, on their twenty five men and their team their team, but may work very well for somebody else and uh, be able to use uh, one or more of these guys or one of these guys in a prospect and, and continue to improve where they feel like they they need to improve. I I just like to say uh, one thing about uh, Pablo Lopez. I've I've seen him pitch this a little. Bit. <clears throat> The guy pitched 180 innings last year. I mean, not you know, not too many guys doing that. Uh, he's a fastball, great changeup guy, uh, which I love, especially in the American League. I love, and he's got a phenomenal changeup. Throws 94, which is which is plenty hard enough with the changeup that he's got. Uh, he's got a little cutter that last year, 21 was really good. 22, you know, it was interesting. I, I just was I was looking at. He threw a, the cutter uh, to left-hand hitters a lot, way more than in 2021. And it was very successful. The numbers looked really, really good. And the, he got knocked around with his cutter last year, and I noticed that he threw it more to right-handers than he did to left-handers. So I'm not exactly sure what the problem, I mean, why he, he changed that. Uh, I think cutter could probably be an effective pitch for him as a third pitch to go a good fastball and a great changeup. I I just I think he's got makeup. He's got he's got stuff. He knows how to pitch and that changeup. Maybe he's he can help um, uh, Joe Ryan with you know with uh, how how to throw the changeup. That thing it's got he's great arm action. It's, got, it's a great speed and it and it moves a lot down and away from left-handers into right-handers. He throws it both to right-handers and left-handers. Few guys that can throw right on right. I just really like the deal. I think he's too kind of starter in the big leagues for you know for for anybody, and I I, I do like that. Let's uh, get Lavelle's reaction first. Want to let you know that we are coming to the from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Thank you to Aquarius Home Services. I I joked in the paper on Sunday that I was wondering if the Twins had traded for Brad Racky. Um, the only difference between the two is that Lopez strikes out a few more guys than Brad did, and Brad walked fewer guys. But, you know, my first couple of years covering the Twins, Racky was hitting 93 with his fastball. You know, they had that great changeup. So um, as far as uh, Kepler, if they can if they can get uh, a, a bullpen arm that can miss a few bats for Kepler, um, then I'm all for it. But if they can't, I'm starting to think about, you know, as much as I don't like the Joey Gallo trade, I just – and I just think they added Dave Kingman. I just when uh, we just went through this with Miguel Sano, but he does play a good defense. And now you're looking at an outfield defense of Kepler, uh, Buxton in the center, and um, Joey Gallo in left. And that's going to be a good. That's going to be a quality defensive outfield. You know, um, where I was talking about the transition of this team from being the Bomba Squad to being a team that's got you know some starting pitching uh, depth. Well, the best way to accentuate that starting pitching is to have good glove work behind them and uh, perhaps the twins will start thinking about uh, the outfield defense and maybe decide to keep Kepler. We'll see. Um, I'm still think, I still thought when they signed Gallo that Kepler was a goner. I still see, t- tend to think that way, but it will be interesting to see uh, that outfield that way and see how it would perform in games. So then you'd have Kirilov, the likely first baseman, and then you still have a DH spot open and that could be a bunch of guys. So um, there's room to make it happen. 
there's also wiggle room to make a deal if you can make that bullpen even stronger. I think it's it's interesting. Uh, I, I like Joey Gallo's athleticism and his defense, and he gives you this you know cannon for an arm and all the, all those things. I mean, you look at him offensively, and he had some big years with Texas, and you know hit 40 home runs in one year, and he drove in 100 runs, and you know all that. He had two or three years that were right around that kind of production. But if you look at it career-wise, you know what we're looking at is in a hundred um, uh, at bats. He's gonna he's gonna get he's gonna hit five or six home runs every hundred bats. He's gonna hit five or six home runs, and he's gonna get fourteen or fifteen other hits. And the other eighty at bats, he's gonna make he's gonna strike out forty five times and make thirty five outs other than strikeouts. So I mean, it's it's going to be frustrating. I, I'm just telling you, it, he's going to hit some home runs that are meaningful, and he's going to be frustrating. My and question: best, Look, go ahead, go ahead, Lavelle. In his best year, he hit 40 homers and 41 homers. In both those seasons, he struck out 196 times and 207 times. He will draw a walk. I'll give him that credit. Um, that'll be a little bit different uh, than like Miguel Sano, but. If you go on Baseball Reference and you look up Joey Gallo and you go down and start looking up like-minded players, you know, the, co- the combination, like, through his first part of his career was Dave Kingman, you know? And um, and similar to bad through age 28, Dave Kingman won. Kyle Schwarber, two. Miguel Sano, three. I mean, like, and Rob Deere's on this list. <laughs> Nick Swish was on this list. <laughs> it's just crazy, man. So you have to take the good with the bad with him. Um Let's see how that one plays out, but uh, I wish they went in a different direction. Maybe I feel better if Joey Gallo was right-handed because that would help out the lineup. Well, you know, you raise a great point there, um, Lavelle. Um, it's uh, it, it just becomes so obvious, you know, how important this team now. I mean, they're and they're going to they're going to score enough runs if Buxton's healthy, if Correa stays healthy, and if uh, Polanco is who he was last year and not who he was last year. And, you know, I mean, there's just so many, there's, I agree with you about a right-hand hitter. And so then the final piece to what I'm saying here is, you know, is Royce Lewis a big league hitter as a right-hander? And then what are you going to do with, with him? Because he's in this mix as well. Uh, he's in the outfield or in the mix and, and, uh, he could, he could get himself well and tear up triple A and and force his way up there and then what do you do? So I, it just points to more deals are made either now or spring training or before the trade deadline when Royce was tearing it up somewhere. And they have as we're talking about this right now, they have a lot of corner options. Uh Correa and Polanco are going to start second and third, short and, th- short and second, I'm sorry. Uh, Miranda's going to be your third baseman. Farmer's going to be your backup shortstop utility player. Nick Gordon's your super utility player. Who's your backup center? Is it Gordon, or do you need somebody else to do that job? Good question, Jim. Um, Gallo's played some center in his career, I believe. Okay. Um, he has. He him? Can, Gallo can play center field. Okay, yeah, well, there you go. You- That's the answer. You can slide Gallo in the center, and then you have um, Larnick and Walner to play left, I guess. Yeah. Um, or even, you know, but don't or Lewis. I, or, or Nick Gordon, my man Nick. We can't forget yeah. on Nick Gordon now. No, no, Nick he can had, play there. 
And, and, and you know what, Kyle, Kyle Garlic, because of his right-handed bat, might end up playing a role here, too. That's true. That's true. He could definitely uh, get in the lineup as a DH against lefties and pound away in those guys. So um, they got bodies. Um, I almost... I, they they got they got bodies and they can, they definitely can get away with Gallo in center. Um, they don't want him with Kepler center, but he's played it in the past. Nick Gordon's been out there in the past, you know. We just don't want Royce Lewis out there because he doesn't know what happens when he steps on a warning track. That means you're about to hit the wall. <laughs> but prepare yourself for a collision. Well, um, I would say I would say that I would love to see Royce Lewis in center field after he's had time to work there. You can't just throw him out, you know. I mean, he just hadn't had much time working at that position. Uh, before he got hurt. I mean, I'm sure he's a good enough athlete to figure it out if he had time working at that position first. Jim, Jim, where do you play him at at St. Paul this year? Uh, And I honestly, I would play him a bunch of different places. I would have him be ready to be backup center fielder, backup third baseman, left fielder, Shoot, he could play first base or DH in a pinch. I mean, I, I would just want him to be ready to to be able to fill in. Because, let's face it, we, we talk about oh, how are you going to fit? Fill, who's going to play here? Who's going to play there? A lot of decisions, even in a year that isn't as devastating as last year's was in terms of injuries. Still, every year injuries end up, you know, solving a lot of these questions. So I I want Royce Lewis ready to play a position of need. Uh, and to and be flexible enough that he can play multiple positions of need. Roy, you have any thoughts of that, or am I asking too much of a young player? Uh, I think you're asking a lot. I know that, I don't know that you're asking uh, too much. What I was thinking about when you were saying those things about Royce Lewis is I, I think it makes a lot of sense. But as I as I picture Royce Lewis and and I and remember what he looked like to your first as a shortstop and then as an outfielder he he doesn't look to me like you know with that athleticism and I mean it's clearly he could be a super utility guy but I think that sells him short um as you know here back up back up Miranda and back up Buxton and play a little bit and left I mean I think he has to I think he doesn't come up and as a super utility, I think Nick Gordon can do that. I think Rose has to play. He's got to. They got to find so. Here's where we want him, and now just go work on that because that's where you're going to play. Um, and I suspect it's going to. But, uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's intriguing to think about him being able to play everywhere. And it, you know, as long as he was doing that mostly every day, filling in for somebody, so he had. So he was an everyday hitter. Um, I, I'd be, I guess, I'd be okay with it. But he feels different to me. He just, he feels like a player at, at a position that's going to be really good. And I just, you know, I would take care of it. Uh, you know, take care of all his body and take care of his injuries until he's, you know, until he's ready to go. By having him play someplace that that makes sense to where he's going to play in the big leagues. And that sounds to me like left field. And if you have an outfield of Royce Lewis, Byron Buxton, either Gallo or Kepler, uh, boy, you do have some. You have some range. You have arms. You have ta- you have some serious talent out there. Right. This and you is, have that this, other. You have that other right-handed bat there in Royce Lewis. If he yep. is who, who we think he is, I mean, I just that feels right to me. Yep. This is why I have no problems drafting multiple shortstops each year because they can Absolutely. move anywhere. Uh, yep. Michael Goddard was a shortstop. Trevor Plouffe was a shortstop. Dan Gladden was signed as a shortstop. 
Uh, Miguel Sano was the shortstop, although we all knew he was going to be third baseman right away. But there's a list of Troy Glaus was a shortstop in college, you know. Um, so those guys can move around as they fill out or prove that they can't be a proficient, proficient defender at short. And they move on to other positions. But let me just tell you something, Lavelle. Let me just tell you. Let me just. T- I know what he's going to say. Nobody. No, I don't care where he was drafted. Nobody thought Dan Gladden was going to be a shortstop at any point in time. <laughs> and at no time was there any danger of Dan Gladden playing shortstop in professional baseball. He would have gotten into a lot of fights at second base, I'll say that. <laughs> oh, the takeout slides? Oh, boy. Oh, he, would have, he would have gotten taken out, and he would have knocked somebody into left field. Oh, man. <laughs> By the way, no I just kidding. saw a great clip. He's Hey, we all remember, you know, uh, so many things about the 91 World Series and Jack Morris and and Gene Larkins at bat and Kelly's mound visit and everything else. It's, it's one of the great games in baseball history. I uh, just saw a clip of Gladden fighting off an inside fastball, breaking his bat into uh, muscling that bloop into center field and never hesitating, taking second base, which set up the game-winning run in 91. The, I the saw World that series clip. winning run in 91. I saw that same clip and he came in a second hard, hard. He, he came in at full throttle and it, some today's player would have probably twisted and snapped an ankle, uh, hitting the bag as hard as he did. Yeah. Danny Gladden was a winning player. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, it speaks for himself, but, but that's, that's one of the best, that's one of the best examples of the kind of player he, he was, he was, he was, uh, he, he was great to have him on, on any ball club. No doubt. Hey, two more. To, we're we're going to have a lot more to talk about after Twins Fest this weekend. going to be a lot of conversations, a lot of fun baseball conversations, uh, and we will, we will continue to have fun talking about the Twins and Major League Baseball. Two topics not exactly related to baseball I want to get to today before we depart. First is uh, Roy did watch the Smalley Family Dinner, <laughs> uh, part of the Family Dinner Series with Andrew Zimmern. Really enjoyed it. My wife and I – we. That's kind of our weekend morning while we're having breakfast type viewing. Uh, we love just that kind of that that feel where somebody's talking about, you know, making good food and just enjoying life. And I, I will also say this, and I've had this conversation. I mentioned this last week to these gentlemen uh, in an episode that got killed because we didn't want to have an episode that didn't rep, rep, reflect the Lopez deal. Uh, I am not an envious person. I don't begrudge anybody anything they have. I, you know, as a, when you're a sports writer, you spend a lot of time around people who have a lot of money and a lot of privilege. I, it's never bothered me, except for twice. Uh, once, when Paul Molitor told me he was going to retire from baseball and go follow Springsteen around Europe, I was jealous. And the other one came when they did the aerial view of your backyard. I was very jealous of you <laughs> in your backyard. Well, I thank you. I, it, I we're blessed to uh, have it. We uh, it worked uh, it worked an awful lot to uh, to get that to where uh, where we wanted it, and now it's just my favorite spot in the world. I just I just love it. And I, they did a really really nice uh, job of, um, of of showing that. I think uh, as evidenced by your comment, but I thought I thought it showed well too. That's just that's my happy place out there. That's that's for sure. We're we're gonna do a show from there. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. You know, this, this summer I'll yeah, bring I mean, the cigars. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I'll, I'll and bring the hanger steaks or the I flank have, steaks. Uh, I have the, um, the the bourbon and the tequila. So we're, we'll be good. Beautiful. 
so hey, congratulations on that. I thought that was really cool because you know I don't know Andrew Zimmern personally, but I've always just liked him and what he does. And to see him kind of hanging out with you guys, I, thought, I just thought it was great. It was great. Yeah, well, thank you. He's a he's a really cool guy, and I've known him for a long time. Actually, this was serendipitous. The producer just happened to you know get a hold of me through a, through a, a mutual friend, and 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 she had no idea that I had uh, Chrissy and I had known Andrew from before. But do you remember? The restaurant Undutpa in the Fauché Tower. Yes. So uh, Andrew Zimmern was that was his first gig. He came out oh, for wow. um, with uh, Undutpa was in New York. The family there was a family owned business. One of the family members, Michael, oh, I just blank out the last name. And and Zimmern came out to start that restaurant here in Minneapolis in the, in the Fauché Tower down street level Fauché Tower. It was phenomenal. That's where I first met Andrew. And he. He's a big baseball fan, and and uh, so when I started going to the restaurant a lot, he'd come out and we got to be friendly. And so I've known him for a long time, seen him now and again. But I've never, you know, I've never spent this kind of time with him uh, where uh, you know it was more than just you know, get hanging out a little bit. I mean, this was serious. This was fun. I mean, really fun. Yeah, I can tell, and it came across that way. All right, one other topic we have to get to because we're all uh, big music buffs, and especially from this era. David Crosby dies. Jeff Beck dies uh, in too rapid succession. I'll remind people of my favorite concert film of all time, 25th Anniversary Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It starts off with CSN, David Crosby sounding fantastic, uh, and has Jeff Beck playing throughout, including with Stevie Wonder and Buddy Guy and, and Sting. It's just it's, it's, it's fantastic. I highly recommend if you want to pay homage to these gentlemen, go back and watch that. But uh, again, let's start with Roy. Any uh, thoughts about either Crosby or Jeff Beck? Well, the two of them, I, I mean, for, for me and my, you know, my generation, I mean, they're icons. Um, I was a huge fan of, uh, of Crosby, Stills and Nash and then Young. Um, I was a huge Jeff, Jeff Beck fan. I really, I mean, start start with the yardbirds for God's sakes, and and um, he's played with so many so many people, and he ended up doing um, kind of. Uh, I just loved his his progression. You know, he ended up, you know, that blow by blow album, which was kind of a rock, heavy, bluesy fusion deal, was really cool, different than different than anything anybody else was doing. You know, kind of the definition of Jeff Beck. And Crosby, I mean, like you say, Crosby, you're sounding great. You're right. He could sing harmony. He could sing. We're so off. I mean, you get the basic Stephen Stills and, uh, melody and grand high harmony off of that. And then David Crosby is singing this harmony, and you try, you try to sing that. You go, okay, I can't, I, I can't sing that. I, I don't even, I don't know, I don't know where he finds the, the, this harmony uh, because I can't. I can't figure out where he's going next, but boy, does it, but does it work? Does it work? The only other th- thing I would say about Crosby is boy, could he piss Graham Nash off? Oh man, that was his, that was his superhero <laughs> skill. You know, no question, no question about it. He wasn't, he wasn't the only one that, who was pissed off by him. He pissed off a lot. Oh of no, he pissed off. Yeah. He pissed off just about, just about everybody. But, but uh, sometimes those people are, Graham the, Nash said, the great you know, ones I, are like that. Quite a while ago. I mean, it was 20, 20 minutes. Years ago, I, someone asked him about Crosby. He goes, "I'm done. With, I'm done with him. Sorry, I'm just done." <laughs> That's crazy, you know. And the thing is, he came from California, 
and at the time California was oozing with just musical creativity and he fit right in with that group during that time it made so I mean I didn't know he had passed away and I turn on the radio and Guinevere's on playing and I'm like why are we listening to Guinevere I never have had not heard this song on the radio very often it's an honor Crosby Crosby Susan Nash passed away today. I was like oh man you know because it was just after Beck and Beck was one of my five t- top living guitarists um who's had a prolific career. So now I got to come up with a fifth guy to go on my top five. I got to work on that. <laughs> well, and, and the, the amazing thing too, is Jeff Beck, like whenever he would be introduced at a concert or something, he would always tell the MC, Hey, remember to tell the audience that I'm on LaBelle's top five guitarist list. <laughs> I bet you know, he did. Crosby, did you know that Crosby uh, produced like an early Joni Mitchell album? Oh Yeah. I had no idea. I saw that on a. Um, did you ever see that uh, thing? I think on the the era, the exact thing that Lavelle's talking about, where talking yep. about all, all the all the stars living in uh, in Topanga Canyon there, uh, between Malibu and San Fernando Valley, and uh, boy, that was amazing. Oh, it's fantastic stuff. It was absolutely fantastic, um, <laughs> uh, and I, I also David Crosby. In that 25th anniversary of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert, they bring Bonnie Raitt up to sing a song with that, you know, them as the backing band. And I mean, Crosby does everything, but like, I, I don't know how, okay, I don't know how to put anything politically <laughs> correct. But I mean, you can just see Crosby just drooling over Bonnie Raitt. And you're thinking, okay, well, that, th- this guy would have been a challenging guy to spend time with, I think. <laughs> I think that's been established. Yes. All right. Good stuff, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. We'll be back next week, and we'll figure out the entire roster uh, for spring training.